Welcome, I'm Amy Kelly, also known as the Ish Girl. What's an Ish Girl? She's someone who has humorous grace with herself after discovering she's messed up or flaked out again. Something that comes in handy if you're working with or raising middle schoolers. A former middle school teacher and mom to two teens of my own, I know the hair pulling, heart filling, crazy making, and joy filled experiences that come with teens. I created the In the Middle of It podcast for teachers and parents just like you who want to support and impact the teens in your life. Each week, I'll be sharing stories and strategies to encourage and equip you so that you can truly become the grown up your teens remember, a meaningful mentor who helped them find their way. Hey there, my name is Amy. I'm also known as the Ish Girl, and I'd like to welcome you to the show today. I am so excited that you're here. Now, if you're just joining me and you're new to Connection Not Perfection, you may not know that I just wrapped up the Connection Not Perfection Summer Lit Club series last week in my last episode, um, talking about the book Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. I also hosted a Facebook Live event about the book, and at the end of that session, I gave away six Amazon gift cards to some of my listeners. So I want to give a shout out to those friends. That would be Tiffany, Carrie, Danielle, Nancy, Charles, and Lindsay. It was so much fun to draw your names and to send those gift cards to you. I hope that you are enjoying them and finding great things to read. All right. Now, before I dive in today, I want to share a story with you. And this is not a fun story for me to share. In fact, this happened during one of the darker seasons of my life. And hang with me here because there is a rhyme and a reason for me sharing this with you. Stick with me until the end and I will reveal everything to you. My husband and I lived in Northern Virginia for about 10 years. Both of our kids were born there. My husband had an amazing job at a great company who they were really like family to us. I had my teaching career while I was there, and I absolutely adored the people that I worked with within the Fairfax County school system. We also had a very tight-knit life group at our church. Um, It was a group of us who all started out as young married couples with no kids, and during our time there, all of us transitioned into being parents, probably within the same couple of years. So that was just a really sweet time in our lives. It was really a beautiful life. But our roots are deep here in Texas because it's our home. And we moved to Virginia um, directly after we graduated from Texas A&M with the idea that we would eventually come back. And in 2005, we made that move to come home. Now, our kids were little. They were four and two at the time. And fortunately, we were quickly able to find a home. And then we started looking for what I like to call the big three, the three things that you really need to find before you can feel completely settled once you've moved. Now, those of you who have had to make that kind of transition before, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. That trifecta would be a good hairdresser, a good doctor, and a church to land in. Now, the hairdresser happened much easier than I thought it would. In fact, I asked a couple of different ladies that I saw out and about, I think one at Target, one at the grocery store, um, who their hairdresser was. And when they told me the same person, I knew I had found a winner. Now, the doctor took a little bit longer, but we found one. But what really surprised my husband and I was finding a church. If you've ever lived in the South, 
especially in what some people like to call the Bible Belt, you know that you cannot throw a stone without hitting a church around here. I mean, there's practically a church on every single street corner. So we thought we'd get here and voila, there would be a church just for us. But it wasn't that easy. In fact, I will share it, it was extremely hard. The whole process took us over a year because we were committed to trying a church out for at least four to six weeks, enough time to really get a feel for things. Because if you're just popping in one Sunday at a time, you never know if there's like a guest speaker or if something wonky is going on or, or whatever it is. But we committed to giving each place some time to, um, to get a real feel for things. Now on our third try, we thought we had found our place. It was a largest excuse me, it was the largest church with a great program for our kids. There was a good Bible study opportunity for me. So on a Wednesday morning, I joined a Bible study and it was there that I was placed in a small group of ladies. Now, these ladies were all around my same age. They all had little kids and it looked like it was going to be a perfect fit. In fact, several of the moms in that group had kids who went to the same preschool that mine were going to. So I thought it was really just a sign that we were in the right spot. Now all I needed to do was get to know some of the girls. And that's where I hit a snag because their relationships were already formed and some of them had friendships going as far back as college and there didn't seem to be room for one more. But throughout that fall, I showed up every week and I participated. And at some point, I even started joining them on the playdates that they had with their kids at McDonald's every week after class. And even though I had kind of invited myself along, I really justified that because I thought, surely they didn't realize what it was like to be new in town. None of them had ever been new anywhere. And I felt like, man, they would probably be more inclusive if they'd ever been in my shoes. Now, this is where it gets rough because during this time, my husband was working so hard for our family. He was really aggressively proving himself in his new job, and we rarely saw him given the 80 to 90 hour work week that he was putting in. I was lonely and I was grieving the life that we had just left, and I was really at a place where I was desperate to make friends. Now, at the end of that fall semester, our Bible study started wrapping up, and we found out that the church didn't have plans to schedule a new Bible study for the spring, so I knew I would be kind of at loose ends. But at McDonald's one day, eating lunch with a couple of the other moms as we watched our kids play, one of them started to talk about a Bible study that she and another lady from our group were putting together. It sounded amazing. She talked about how it would be in one of their homes and how they were so excited because an older, more seasoned mom was going to lead it, which sound, sounded really appealing to me because one of my big things is finding older women or more seasoned women um, as mentors. So this just sounded perfect. Now she waxed poetic and went on and on about how wonderful it was going to be, how wise and experienced this teacher was. And as she was talking, I found myself having this internal debate. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an internal debate like this one, but it went a little something like this. Should I just ask her? It's a Bible study, right? Like everyone has to be included because it's a Bible study. Plus, why would she be talking about it if she wasn't going to include everyone? Now, she continued on and on, and I finally decided to speak up. And I chose my words oh so carefully. 
Wow, that sounds like something I'd be really interested in, I told her. And my heart plummeted as I watched the expression wash over her face. I knew what she was going to say before she even opened her mouth. I, I don't think we're going to have room for you. Her words were very rushed, and she also added, maybe you can find somewhere else. Now, guys, I do not even remember how I responded to her. All I can recall is that I quickly gathered up my babies just as fast as I could, rushed to my car, and tried to get everyone buckled into their seats, including myself, before I lost it because I did lose it. Oh, so bad. I lost it and I cried all the way home and then some. The rejection was bitter and it was even more so because it was from an environment that I really expected to be warm and nurturing. I mean, hey, if you can't join a Bible study, what can you join, right? So the next day, as I drove through the pickup line at the preschool, this same woman stopped me. She pulled up in her car next to me, window rolled down. I rolled my window down too, and she leaned out of hers and she explained that she and the other organizer were praying about whether or not to include me in their Bible study. Now, I have to tell you, what I wanted to say was along the lines of, yeah, let me know how God gets back to you on that one. But instead, I just with a very steady voice informed her that, hey, that's okay. I'm not interested because I would really prefer to be part of a study that welcomes people in case I want to bring a friend along. She just kind of gaped at me as I drove away. And it was awkward, right? Now, I know this all went down for a reason. In fact, within a few weeks of that rejection, the kids and I had registered for a Bible study, one that just magically had two kids openings pop up in the middle of the year, which was quite unusual. And this Bible study was phenomenal for me and my kids. It was literally like a womb for all three of us, and it provided mentorships from older women for me and just really outstanding programs for my children. In fact, it was at this new Bible study a year later that I met the woman who is still my best friend. It took a long, long time for that scar to heal, especially because my kids were still in that same preschool and had to finish out the year with these same kids, with these same moms. So I saw them every week for months. Now, it is so painful to be rejected, and it is a feeling that I will never forget. Now, it's the motivation behind my efforts to spot those newbies that I see, the unfamiliar parents at school assemblies or the new faces at church, and reach out to them. And it's the driving factor in my quest to make sure that no one is excluded in anything I participate in. It was really a defining moment for me. And while it hurt immeasurably, and I'm not going to lie, it hurt immeasurably. I'm really grateful that it happened because it has gifted me with a compassion and an awareness that I don't think I would have otherwise. Okay, now everyone take a deep breath with me. Now, I want you to answer these questions for me. How are you feeling? What are you thinking about after I share that story with you? Are you caught up in any of the emotions that were part of it? I really hope that you are, and here is why. 
Several of you have shared with me that one of your biggest frustrations with your teen is getting them to listen to you, convincing them that your years of experience can benefit them, that you are not, as I think we all know they secretly feel, complete idiots, right? Like we are not idiots. But how do we do that? How do we reach them and how do we get them to listen? Well, one way is to use the strategy I just used with you by telling them our stories. Now, the story I just shared was one that I have used several times with my kids when they've um, had to deal with being left out, when they face situations where they needed to persevere, when they are feeling hurt and rejected and lonely. It's really a reference point for us now and something that I go back to over and over because it is full of hard-won lessons. And here's the secret. We are hardwired as humans to be drawn into stories. Now, I researched several articles for this episode, and I confess that I kind of geeked out over all the information I found. And if you're interested, I did include links to several of those articles in my show notes. But most of these sources agreed. Stories light up different parts in our brains. And one of the parts that it lights up as we listen to stories is the sensory part, which means that we feel the experience that we're listening to. Now, one of the articles quotes a Princeton researcher, his name was Yuri Hassan, who explained that a story is the only way to activate parts in the brain so that a listener turns the story into their own ideas and experience. Now, what does that mean for us as parents? Telling our teens stories, especially ones about ourselves, can make a bigger impact and a deeper impression than just feeding them information. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute because I'm sure there are already stories that might be popping into your head from your past. And if you're like me, another thought pops in quickly afterwards, which is, I don't know if I can share my stories because I'm sure I'm not the only one who has some incidents in my past that I only want to share with my teens once they've safely reached adulthood, if then even, am I right? Now, there's something to be said for the idea that telling your teens about some of the unwise life decisions that you made, it might give them a sense of permission to do the same thing, whether it's drinking or drugs or sex or whatever it is. But here's the thing. Your stories that you share don't have to be huge productions. They can be anything you remember from your childhood, your teenage years, or your young adulthood. Because I'm betting that if it's something that you still remember, it's because it impacted you in some way. Now, the other question that came up for me when I thought about my stories was, how do I know which story to use for when? For instance, the story I just told wouldn't necessarily work, you know, for sharing thoughts about lying or having a good work ethic or, you know, things along those lines. It only works for some specific things. So how do you choose what to share? Well, here are some steps that I came up with to use when it comes to telling your stories to your teens. Number one, think about the top two or three things that you really want to communicate to your teen. Do you want to share with them in areas of character like honesty, integrity, perseverance, taking responsibility, you know, those kinds of things, or in areas like faith or dating or values? So really think about these things and make a conscious decision about where you want to focus 
your sharing and your stories. And once you have those two to three ideas solidly in mind, then move on to the next step, which is number two. And in this one, what you need to do is dig through your mental archives. Now, this may be easier for some than others, but I promise you, you do have stories to tell. Ask yourself, what stories am I willing to share? Which ones should I save for later? And which ones illustrate the two to three ideas that I I really want to communicate? And make sure you think of stories that show you at your worst, like the times you made mistakes and really messed up, as well as things that just happened to you or were done to you as well as those times that you triumphed. Now, believe me, the story I shared earlier is just the tip of the iceberg in my repertoire. And I have stories like how I learned to not be a liar and how I was so mean to my siblings that I'm surprised that we still talk kind of stories among others. So make sure that you're being very real and vulnerable with your teens because they don't want to hear all about how you were the hero and made the great choices all the time. In fact, I think those stories where we share with them how we failed, how we've made mistakes are actually going to be more impactful than the other ones where we come off as, you know, like I said, the hero. So once you have those stories in mind, this is number three, go over each one of them and ask yourself, what's the main point I want to make with this story? And what is the simplest, shortest way I can tell the story and still make the point? Do I have to tell the whole story or will just a piece of it work for right now? And you could do this as a thought exercise or you could even put it in writing. For instance, the story that I shared is not one that I've told my teens from start to finish, really, I don't think. I've told bits and pieces of it as the occasion fits. So when they've experienced being left out, I've talked about being left out of the Bible study when we first moved here. When they've had trouble persevering through a difficult season, I've talked about finishing out that semester at that preschool after being left out. And when they felt lonely, I've reminded them that it took a long time for me to make the friends that I have now, especially when we were first living here in Texas and reestablishing our connections. So you get the idea. One story may hold endless applications. Now, the other thing with this is when I said keep it simple and short, that is going to help your teen retain more and it will have the most impact. In fact, as I was doing my research and I had heard this before, I had just um, not recalled it until I saw it in one of these articles, but I think it was Hemingway who maybe wrote the shortest short story ever. And it goes something along these lines, for sale, baby shoes, never used. The end. And so if you think about that, if you really ponder over just those short three sentences, it tells a whole world of story, right? So just know that the fewer words you use, the better able your teens are going to be able to process and take in what you're saying. Okay, number four, wait for the opportune moment. It is probably not the best approach to pull out your narratives during a heated or emotional moment. So if you have times with just you and your teen, um, maybe like a date time or a family night, or if you're taking a road trip, times when you're both relaxed and maybe your teen is a little bit more open, those are the ideal times. And I think this falls under that category of really knowing your teen and knowing when they're going to be open to, to listening to you more than normally, not, not like completely open to listening to you, but maybe in a more favorable 
mood or place than they normally would be. And I actually talked about this in one of my very first episodes, I want to say, where I talked about knowing your teen. And this was part of that. I'll try to, I'll find that and link to that in the show notes. So, all right, number five, you need to ask. You might want to say something like, hey, did I ever tell you about the time that I, you know, dot, 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 do you want to hear about it? Or even like, hey, I have a story from when I was your age or in my 20s or in college or whatever that I'd like to tell you. Are you up for it? And then listen to them. If they say no, shrug it off for another time. And if they say yes, be ready to dive in and make it a quick story. Now, number six, in a perfect world or a cheesy Disney TV show, our teens would thank us for bestowing our wisdom and express awe at our amazing experiences. Now, obviously, that's not the world we live in. So don't be discouraged if they don't react positively. In fact, it would be super surprising if they do respond favorably, I would think. You need to brace yourself for groans and maybe even some ridicule, but that is okay. Because regardless of how they respond in the moment, you just need to know that it is biologically programmed into them to listen to stories even yours. So storytelling is one more way to keep adding drops into your teen's two liter bottle. Now, if you're new to connection, not perfection, that's kind of my go-to analogy for parenting our teens. Um, Whatever it is that we're trying to pour into them, whether it's discipline or teaching or nurturing or love or whatever it is, it accumulates in them over the long haul, like adding water to a bottle, just one drip drop at a time. I realize that some of you may be thinking, I don't have any stories to share, and that's okay. As I said before, I think everyone has a story, so it's really just all about you stopping and maybe taking the time to think about your experiences and and come up with those kind of teachable moments that you can pull from them. But if you really feel like you can't pull out your own stories, there are plenty of stories out there. That is why I talk about the young adult books and movies on Connection Not Perfection so much, because it's the same idea, right? You're using stories to connect, and it works. If you're not sure how to get started using books or movies or whatever to connect with your teen, then just know that I have several resources and you can sign up for my free resource library. I'm going to include a link in my show notes. And on that page, on that resource library page that I have, I share all kinds of questions and strategies for connecting with your teen through very specific books and stories and movies, and I'm consistently adding to it. Okay, Thank you so much for listening to my story today. I am really curious to know if you are inspired to share your story with your teen. Seriously, let me know about it on my Facebook page or through Instagram, and I have links to both of those down in my show notes. So thank you again for hanging out with me today. And until next time, just remember from an ish girl who made a pact with her college roommates to never share any of the photos we took during those years together... I am so glad to be in the middle of it together.